Welcome to the Why It Depends podcast, where we explore anatomical and physiological mechanisms and nuances behind different approaches in the fitness and therapy industries. In today's episode, which is the second of a two-part series, Stefan and I look at the importance of mobility from a practical perspective. We discuss our own approaches to improving and maintaining mobility, including corrective articular rotations, eye movements, and foot positioning, as well as a host of other practical tips for individuals wanting to improve their mobility or that of their clients. We hope you enjoy the show. Stefan, brother, how are you doing? Not too bad. How are you? Good, dude. How's your week? Pretty good. A little busy. Yeah. Considering I have nothing to do and just sitting at home. Yeah. <laughs> That's the new life now, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Getting some reading done. Got some new books in, in, in the mail. So exciting. Yeah. It's good stuff. You ready for part two? Oh, you? oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm ready. Okay. Um, <laughs> so before we start, I know last time we <clears> talked about <throat> fun facts and not so fun facts, but we've actually switched it this time. Uh, fun facts and health hacks with Zach and Stefan. Damn. Oh, damn. So I guess <laughs> Stefan went first last time. So I'm going to go first this time. Um, so something I've been messing around with, uh, this is a health hack, um, is essential oils for sport performance. Um, so I worked at a supplement store in university and was big into the pre-workouts back in the day. And it took me a while to kind of get off them, weed myself off and get um, my energy levels back up for a workout. But um, just recently, I heard on a podcast and they were talking about the performance benefits of sniffing peppermint oil. So what I've been doing is tossing uh, just a couple drops on my wrists with some coconut oil. You just have to be careful because uh, it can be a little bit irritating to the skin. So a little bit of coconut oil and taking like four or five big breaths. Uh, before my exercise and it, it my exercise have been crazy it's almost like a pre-workout or like uh, sniffing salts and i actually came across some research so uh these research papers were looking at peppermint oil before uh, sports performance and they were seeing significant increases in grip force uh standing vertical standing long jump uh vo2 max power output so i'll put these studies in the uh, show notes for people if they want to check them out um but yeah it's super interesting and they think it's because the peppermint oil has a uh bronchial dilating effect. So it's opening up the lungs to allow uh, for more exchange of oxygen carbon dioxide. Um, but to me, I think there's more of a neural aspect going on through your olfactory nerve and your nose. And just in terms of stimulating, just based off how I feel when I do it, it doesn't feel like I, I feel an instant increase in energy. Like it's not like a accumulation of an increase in oxygen yeah. or whatever. It's like, it just feels like right away. I'm like pumped. You get the, go. the all natural sniff smelling salts. Yeah, exactly. You get the zoom. You don't look super crazy and you smell, smell amazing during your work. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah fresh. There and there are a couple uh, other oils too, that they use like cinnamon is one citrus is one wintergreen uh, wintergreen. Yeah. Wintergreen is another one. So uh, spearmint, I think spearmint's the same as, as peppermint in, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'll toss all, all those in the show notes for people to check out and try out. Very cool. That's pretty wild. What yeah. were the, yeah, you, you had said the stats, give, give the stats of, of your, your grip strength. What was it again? Yeah. Like, so this study grip strength boosted, 36.1% increase in uh, grip force and then uh 7% increase in vertical and then a 6.4% uh, increase in standing long jump. That's pretty Which are decent. like crazy numbers. Yeah. Especially yeah. yeah. It's an interesting, yeah. The grip force, especially it's an interesting sort of idea. It just potentiates the system in, in an interesting way. That seems like you said more than just the bronchial dilation. Effect. Yeah. Yeah. There's, exactly. there's gotta be something else that, that the sensory stimulation and there's massive connections between that and the sensory and the, and the motor. So mm. uh, yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, um, fun fact, fun fact for, for the episode is, um, 
speaking about like exercise and all that sort of stuff, oftentimes when you're running and you're out of breath, uh, you're, you, you know, you'll hear like, you know, breathe deep, take some deep breaths, try to, you know, get the oxygen in and all that sort of stuff. And it's not really like helpful information because that's not exactly what's, what's going on or driving your, your lack your sense of lack of an, of oxygen in your body. When you end up, uh, exercising and you get to a point of, of, uh, you know, heavy, heavy breathing and all that stuff. It's not a lack of oxygen that's stimulating the heavy breathing. It's actually an accumulation of, uh, carbon dioxide within your blood and as your as your muscles work they produce carbon dioxide as a, as a sort of a byproduct uh, which circulates through your system stimulated by or, or picked up by certain chemoreceptors in, in your arteries and signaled back to your brainstem and your brainstem says shit we got to get the stuff out of here get breathing and then that's when this, the big breaths start start happening so um, there's some interesting training effects that we can get into uh, in uh, in later episodes um, mm. I think we'll, we'll get into some breathing stuff and and uh, maybe revisit that as a concept because it's kind of cool yeah, that blew, blew my mind uh, when mm-hmm. you told me that before. It has nothing to do with the amount of oxygen. It has to do with the carbon dioxide buildup. That's what yeah. uh, initiates that that uh, diaphragm to contract and take that breath. Yeah, and as an evolutionary sort of a thing, your your body needs to have as much oxygen available to it at all times. And so it does, it just has 97%, you know, typically is is sort of like the blood oxygen saturation in your blood. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that rarely dropped even at, at extreme levels of exercise. Um, so, you know, breathing more doesn't equal, you know, 98% saturation. Mm. It's not going to get you that much more in terms of performance, all about getting that CO2 out of, out of the system. So that your, uh, your muscles and, and, uh, and your physiology can operate normally again. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. So, so crazy. Um, damn, that's wild. Uh, so today part two practical takeaways of all the crazy stuff we were talking about last time with fluid pumps and. Uh, reflex pathways and the uh, in terms of mobility and the importance of mobility. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, today we're going to talk about the practical <clears throat> side. Nice. So I thought it would we're... be. Sorry. Go oh, ahead. you go ahead. No, Sorry, you go gonna... ahead. <laughs> I thought it'd be a good place to start is how me and Stefan approach our own mobility and uh, the mobility with our clients. So for me personally, um, it's not that there's crazy uh, complex stretches that I'm doing or dynamic um, exercises that I'm doing. It's not the complexity of the movement, it's the consistency of the movement. Mm. So I wake up every morning and do 15 minutes of um, intentful mobility exercise to start the day. I've tried different things like um, static stretching I've tried, like yoga, like long position, isometric contractions I've tried. I've tried rolling out um, and those all have intent behind what they're trying to achieve. Uh, but lately I've been doing uh, CARS, which stand for uh, um, corrective articular rotations or uh, not controlled, uh, yeah. controlled articular rotation. Yeah. So the reason why I, I enjoy these a little bit more than the other ones is because it isolates joints. So I can start at the wrist. You know, I know our wrists can flex and extend. It's got all in the radial deviation. There's a level of rotation. And then I go to the elbows, elbows flex and extend supination pronation. So I can kind of isolate each joint as I go through so that, uh, like we talked about in the last episode, those hidden um, immobilized areas, I can kind of tackle those to some degree. Um, Mm -hmm. I know we didn't get into this too much last episode, but when we're talking immobility, there's different layers, or it's really different densities, but different layers of tissue that can be uh, immobilized in different ways. So there's a superficial layer. That's that fascial layer that reacts to uh, stretch more so. So fixotropic effects. Uh, Then we have an intermediate layer. That's the neuromuscular layer um, that reacts to more of the reflex of things um, 
that Stefan was talking about last podcast. And then we have an articular layer. That's um, your joint capsule, your ligaments, and the actual uh, bony tissue of the joint um, has a sensory component, but it has more to do with the articulation, it's actual positioning. So what I like about these uh, rotations is that I get a little bit of all worlds. So going mm-hmm. through that rotation, because it's slow and controlled, I'm getting a level of myofascial release. Because I'm going through the entire range of motion of the joint, I'm getting activation of the agonist and antagonist to relatively um, uh, reset that uh, reflex, those reflex pathways. Um, and because I'm moving the joint at its physiological range, meaning that I'm taking it to uh, the level of length that's most comfortable for it, I'm going to get a level of uh, articular uh, repositioning to a degree. Mm-hmm. Now, there is also limitations to this. And the big thing is integration. So I'm going through and I'm mobilizing different joints, but I'm not integrating that mobilization uh, within the whole system. Yeah. Um, and huge piece too is, is like that, like you said, the, 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 the sensory of, of it, like stimulating the full range of motion of a joint, you're getting a massive amount of feedback to the brain, uh, which, which was a piece that I had mentioned earlier is your, you know, your body's representation in the brain, in the homunculus and the, the somatosensory cortex and how that in, in, increasing through intentional movement or controlled articular uh, releases and, 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 and ranges of motion and stuff like that, you're increasing then that feedback mm-hmm. in a huge way, which, which has massive effect. And I really like it uh, as a fact that because it's controlled, it's the usable range. So I was doing, dy- I've tried dynamic mm-hmm. stuff before, but sometimes dynamic exercises, um, because you're, uh, there's so much momentum, you're, you're ta- you can take different joints out of that physiological range into almost like um, like passive motion. What does that, sorry, what does that like dynamic sort of uh, movement kind of look like? So let's say like a high knee, for example, like gotcha. I'm in, in okay. place and, I, and I'm hitting high knees and I'm trying to get as much length. I'm trying to get my knees as high as I can. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, some joints are going to be uh, creating the active motion, but then some joints are along for the ride. They're, they're the active motion created by some joints are, is creating levers of force on other joints, taking them beyond ranges of motion. Right. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So then it, then we're getting into that, that question of flexibility versus mobility. You, yeah, you may exactly. have the flexibility to get there, but you're not controlling it. It's just the momentum or the leverage that's getting it there. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying yeah, I'm yeah, completely yeah. against uh, dynamic exercises. They're great. Um, but yeah. this is just a, another way to think about it in terms of just strictly isolating mobility of, of joints. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and there is, uh, like I was saying, there's limitations, like the integrative component, like because I'm isolating joints, I'm not going through like large global kinetic chain um, movements. Uh, movements where I'm integrating that movement into the whole system. There yeah. are some joints you just can't isolate. Spinal joints, for example, like I can't go uh, C1, C2, C3, C4. Um, and those are the ones really that uh, are good at hiding mobilities and immobilities because uh, they can just go a segment up, segment below. It's going to start working harder so that that uh, spot that can't move um, stays protected. Yeah. And that's going to come down to going in to see people like a practitioner, like don't be afraid to go in um, and get checked out by somebody. Like Mm -hmm. there's limitations to what you can do on your own. And it's important to uh, recognize what those are and don't be afraid to go in and see somebody once a week, once every other week or depending on your situation. Yeah. I went in, uh, or I'm going in a couple of weeks just to go for a checkup 
with some vestibular uh, physiotherapists just to see what I'm working with. Cause I have no idea what I'm missing. Mm. <laughs> it's one of those things that I'm just going just more, more or less to explore and, and see what, what, uh, what I have to work with. And maybe they can identify some sort of limitations that might have a massive influence on, on my, you know, my issues. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's kind of a, if you, you know, if you have the opportunity that you might as well take it. Mm-hmm. You said vestibular therapist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's going to be wicked, dude. It's going to be an interesting thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Stefan's saying, you don't have to have back pain or shoulder pain or major issues to go in and get checked out. No. When those issues arise, it's probably because you've had immobility issues for, for time before that. So if okay. we can get those handled before um, they create um, noticeable issues, number one, they'll be easier for the practitioner to um, alleviate. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they do, you, you don't never have to deal with the issue, like the pain or you, you never have to go down that road. Yeah. And they'll love you for it. You walk yeah, in exactly. they're like, oh, I'm just here. And they'll be like, I'm so happy that you're here. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's try to optimize as mm-hmm. opposed to uh, constantly on the back heel of, mm-hmm. of your body. Um, so yeah, back to my daily practice. So yeah, after that yeah. 15 minutes, um, the next thing, uh, me and my girlfriend will go for like anywhere between 20 and a 60 minute walk. So talking about integration of movement, walking is absolutely fantastic. You're utilizing Mm -hmm. every joint in the body in a uh, integrative uh, manner, right? It's a primal motion. We're built uh, um, to to have gait. Um, There's levels of flexion and extension. You're you're gonna get uh, movements to the spine, levels of flexion and extension. There's gonna be um, a level of reflexive uh, reset or recalibration. Mm-hmm. Um, there are again limitations, but you have to have some faith in your body that your body's going to be able to sort some of these issues out. Um, but the, again, limitations, you're going to have to potentially go, go see somebody. And then beyond that, I set an alarm on my phone for every hour. I do five minutes of some sort of movement. So it can be cars. It can be, um, you know, just some squats. Maybe it's a five minute walk, just something. So that I'm not, um, staying in one position for too long. Yeah, that's definitely the killer is mm. just giving your body the time and, and space to get into a bad, bad position and, and come, become comfortable in that bad position. And you're, you're, you're in an uphill battle all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Are there, that's- are there certain things like when you're, when you're sort of setting that alarm that you're, you know, week to week that you're sort of like, I'm going to focus and really drive home, you know, the, this aspect or this joint or this, this, this movement pattern or anything like that, or. Yeah. Like it's very day to day. So if there's a skill I want to improve on, for example, like, uh, Mm. I want to be able to do handstands or I want to be able to do more chin-ups or something like that. It's a great, uh, opportunity to build on skills. Um, if it's a more of a recovery day, maybe I'll do some, um, higher intensity stuff just because I know I'm not, I don't have a workout that day and I want some sort of exercise stimulus to build on that, uh, non-exercise or non-exercise accumulated thermogenesis. So just like the amount of calories I'm burning in the day. Mm. Um, sometimes I'll just like bounce around on my toes, like almost like yeah, a boxer. Yeah, yeah. I just look like a complete idiot bouncing around the house just I because that like, That's funny. Yeah, like, like mechanically um, stimulating for, you know, venous and lymph flow. Like yeah, as long as yeah, you have exactly. some sort of intention yeah. behind it, um, I think you're in good shape. Yeah. Mm. If you can rationalize it or, or just have a goal and stick to it through, like you said, the consistency component is going to be more important than, than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know some people will be like, well, I don't have time to get up every five minutes and, and uh, um, you know, move around. 
yeah. you'll be surprised at how productive you are when you sit back down. Like it's an opportunity to kind of unfocus and then, um, you know, get your heart moving or get your heart pumping, get some blood flowing and then sit yeah. back down and refocus. Like there's lots of uh, studies that show um, that movement throughout the day in- increases productivity. Yeah. Um, I remember I used to work at a, I, I did like an internship with um, like a corporate wellness uh, when I was in school and that was always like you go and give a presentation to a group of people and, and you try to give some hokey kind of like, like, okay, now everybody like stand up or like set a timer and then, and then stand up. But people feel awkward doing that kind of a thing, <laughs> like just going and, 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 you know, jumping or doing anything like that. But like practical solutions, we always used to talk about like, you know, go to the fourth floor washroom instead and just walk there, take the time, mm-hmm. you know, the more bathroom breaks you get, or the more, uh, the more water breaks you get, the more bathroom breaks you're going to need more mm. water you're going to be drinking, which most people are deficient in anyways. And these are all things that, that get you moving, mm. uh, which was sort of our underlying, our underlying message. A lot of mm. the time, just changing, getting the uh, variety. Have you seen a, like a Tony Robbins? Uh, oh, you know? he's got guy, people dancing, bouncing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like there's a, it, it builds good emotion. I feel as well. Yeah. yeah um, it yeah. can help decrease that stress response. Cause a lot of times stress responses are designed because it's anticipating physical movement afterwards um and if you don't allow it to to burn that energy that yeah. it's setting up for that that the situation it thinks is coming then it just accumulates um yeah. so, you know an opportunity to decrease your stress there that's always unique a good one mm-hmm. and then beyond that i'll do like 10 to 15 minutes of some sort of breath work along with my meditation and like we talked about uh with the fluid pumps like that's just a great way huge muscle that's really changing a lot of pressure in the, uh, the abdomen and the thoracic cavity to uh, move fluid around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are my, those are my big ones. <clears throat> and that, that goes a long way to, to sort of freshen the mind as well. Get some, get some air in and mm-hmm. <laughs> there we go. Get some air in, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> get some, get some CO2 out, but, but increasing the breathing and will help dilate uh, cerebral arteries and, and get some, some freshness up to the brain and, and get you thinking sharp again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah That's cool. So, what about yourself? What, what yeah. kind of stuff do you do? Um, Most of the mobility. Pretty lazy, man. Most of the stuff that I, <laughs> I try, I, I do uh, like, I try to get more bang for my buck with like, instead of taking as much time, you know, to do individual stuff, I I've been really trying to drive home like collective, some collective mechanics sort of ideas and, and um, working off of like some sensory input. Um, so doing things like um, like eye exercises, um, are, are like a great way to stimulate your brain is a huge amount of, of your, um, of your brain is dedicated to visual information, uh, and, and posturing and, and positioning of your eyes relative to the horizon, because that is sort of, uh, very much an evolutionary requirement to, to keep you, keep you going and, and healthy and, and not just seeing what's out there in terms of food and, uh, but seeing what's out there in terms of dangers as well. Mm. Um, so I, I movements, um, exploring extreme ranges of, of motion uh, through both of your eyes um, through the whole circle of your orbit. Sorry, before you keep going. So I know like when you, when you're using eye, eye movements, that that's going to have some top down effect to the rest of the body, right? Cause the rest of the body's uh, repositioning itself based on the, the eye position. Correct. Yeah. Big time. And is that going to be through, um, like I know crane, there's some cranial nerves that innervate the eyes. Like, is that, mm-hmm. is that the thought process as you're working back through those cranial nerves or is it more so through, um, not vestibular, but, um, 
like the, those uh, somatosensory tracks from the, from the visual system down to then the pyramidal tracks of the, of the body, right? Like yeah. what's the, they, they all feed, they, they all, your eyes all like through all the cranial nerves that innervate the eyes. Um, so there's accommodation reflexes, which, uh, are sort of governed by the, the your, your, um, the pupillary muscles and which help your brain or, or help your eyes sort of focus in on, on a certain thing. Mm. Um, so when you're gazing and, and you're watching something, your brain is having to control many things in, in your eyes. So you have to focus on something, which then helps you zero in on it, on that one thing that's moving, uh, and nothing else. But then as it's moving, your brain has to then work the motor side of things to maintain, uh, an even gaze. Um, and so, oftentimes so all of those things sort of reflex in through into the into all sorts of places in the brain mm-hmm. um one of the primary spots is um is the the brain stem um for in terms of movement because that out, out from the brain stem relay all sorts of um uh tracks that go and govern your like flexor tone and extensor tone um so the pontomedullary uh, reticular formation is is mm-hmm. the, the one of the big ones um, that I just recently have been learning a little bit about. Um, and so I've, if you can stimulate um, some of those those reflexes, uh, which which are activated through the eyes, um, then you can govern in, in a pretty big way some of those in, intersegmental um, uh, um, musculature between the vertebrae and, and, and the rib cage and things like that. Mm. Um, and that can then all of a sudden take you out from a point where you were, where those limitations were that you didn't know were there. And then all of a sudden, if you stimulate some of those, those uh, pathways, it, your brain gets new information. And then it says, Oh, I don't need to be in this posture. I can be in this posture instead. And, and, you know, all of a sudden you're sitting up taller, you're not feeling hunched. You're able to take a deeper breath. These sorts of things just sort of, mm. uh, start to, um, clear up when you, when you sort of incorporate some of these, these, uh, sensory pathways, uh, so which is almost, kind of fun. Almost like, um, allowing the, the central nervous system to get a little bit bigger picture of that map. And like you were talking about in the last podcast so that it can better, um, optimize yeah. top-down exactly uh, postures and movements yeah yeah because so, there it, it's it's all like you said it's all sort of like uh it, there's there are certain hierarchies and, and maintaining you know a good head position is is top top dog on the high uh on, on in terms of the hierarchy hmm. um and so you know your body compensates in all sorts of ways to make sure that, that is maintained but in doing so it sacrifices the body hmm. uh to maintain a good head position so, so you know if you can yeah change up that information a little bit you can help the body along. So what does that look like for you? Like, are you sitting yeah. down and like looking left and right up and down? Or are you like, um, using, um, body movement along with like eye movement or how do you, how does, yeah. that, what does that look like? So there's tons of ways to, to get at it because there, like I said, there's tons of ways to, um, to leverage the different, different, uh, cranial nerves that are re- responsible and the different systems that are responsible for it. So if you are just statically, you can do it just sitting, you know, practice like looking to, to the left and then to the right and then to the left and then to the right and then up and down sort of working in a cross, then working on a diagonal mm-hmm. top left to bottom, right, etc., and and work those, you know, those eight ways. Um, then that's going to go a very long way in terms of coordinating the extrinsic eye muscles. So all those muscles that govern the position of your eyeball, mm. um, another piece then that's still along that sort of motor motor aspect, but then draws in a little bit more of the, of that accommodation reflex of the focus is, uh, working on like convergence, which is something that I, I I've been playing a lot with. Um, and so it's just essentially the ability of your eyes to be able to zone in on, on an, an individual <laughs> 
uh, 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 target. Mm. Um, so then you can do tracking things like drawing circles as they get closer and closer and closer, uh, or, you know, coming away or going the other direction. And, and these all then help integrate, uh, just more, more sensory information or ask more of, of your eyes, um, mm. which then require your body to do all sorts of stuff. Then the inverse of that is like what you had said, you know, with the, uh, you know, into integrate movement, um, you can, you know, keep fixed and then move your head instead to these extreme ranges of, of your eyes oh, interesting. and, and doing it seated, doing it standard, uh, standing rather, these are all going to be interesting ways to create the variability that your brain thrives off of. Mm. Yeah. So, so there's almost a, a motor component where you're training those, um, uh, extrinsic eye muscles and mm -hmm. a sensory component where you're changing, uh, or you're allowing for the central nervous system to get some extra sensory information. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by, by integrating the movement or changing your body position, like if you were just to redo some of those exercises in a bent over position or like on a, uh, like in a split stance, all of a sudden now you're engaging the cerebellum, you're engaging the vestibular uh, system and, and the, and the, you know, the, the cranial nerves related to it. So these are That's all again, good. just awesome ways to create variability. And mm -hmm. then like, the, and this is part of the reason why I'm going to, uh, you know, to explore the vestibular uh, specific physiotherapy, because you don't know what you're missing until you get it. And you're like, oh my gosh, how easy could my life have been? Or how, you know, better off could, you know, this injury or this recovery process have been had I not had I known this or had access to it previously. Mm. Um, so, and, and, and it's a really important piece. Anybody who's experienced um, like whiplashes, car accidents, concussions, sport related um, traumas, anything like that, even just slips and falls in the ice. Though, those are all, you know, very uh, traumatic experiences for your system and for your brain to, to then deal with. It does it um, and it finds a way to, to deal with it, but there can be a lot of underlying sort of mechanisms that, that get ingrained in, in a negative way. So there it's, it's fun to explore because you don't, you never really know what you're going to un, un, uh, unlock with it. Have you heard of uh, Andrew um, Huberman or Huberman? He's the yeah, scientist yeah, yeah. on um, Instagram. I've heard him talk about the lateral eye movements as a way mm -hmm. to um, like decrease stress, the stress response. That's right. Um, yeah. And then I've heard of him too, like just going back to taking that five minute break um, to unfocus is to look on a horizon so, so that you open, you dilate those pupils like you were talking about to take in more information yes. so that when you yeah. sit back down, you can then reconstruct and then re like refocus and and have an opportunity to have better focus and productivity. Yeah. Yeah. It mm. changes your perspective, especially for, you know, today's day and age where we're constantly looking at our phone or a screen or, or something like that, getting that stimulus and the variety of, of difference. You're, you're only asking your eyes to zone in, you know, the same foot, foot and a half away. And it never really gets that opportunity to you know, like try to focus in on a, on a, a distant ta uh, target. So mm. um, yeah, it's, it's important. It's important to get that variety. Um, what, what would you um, recommend for someone who wants to learn more about how to, how to utilize this? Is there, yeah. is it just straight up looking at the anatomy, like know your cranial nerves um, and what positions they do and what they affect from the brainstem perspective, or is there classes you took or like, how, how, how did you come across this stuff? Yeah. A lot of this stuff that I came across was just by chance. And, and then I, I sort of came about it in, in like a very, interested way because it, it was a totally different perspective that I that I was used to and um, after suffering a certain amount of concussions you, you start to then look elsewhere if you're still <laughs> having having issues 
Um, and so the, the one, uh, one place that I found was a physiotherapist in uh, Montreal. Her name's Annette uh, Verpilo, and, and she, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but she is uh, based in Montreal and um, her company's called Posture Pro. Mm. And they do a lot of awesome work and, and, and preach a lot of that sort of material. Um, another person, uh, his name is um, Adam Wolf, and he's uh, out of Chicago. And you can find these these people on Instagram. They're, they're, they have a lot of really amazing content. I'm looking forward to getting getting into uh, some more material with Adam. I've purchased his book, and he's got a course out now that that really talks about the details and the nitty gritty and and how these things can be integrated in in like a rehab specific kind of way. Um, but like I said, it's not necessary just to do it for the sake of rehab. You know, y- you may not know that your that your your body's compensating in a big way you know from a an accident that you had you know years ago um but these certain certain pathways get uh get perverted or, or demented in certain areas and and it's it's a good thing just to explore mm-hmm. yeah it's so interesting when you're working with a client and you see this crazy movement um pattern it's like where did this come from you didn't break your leg you didn't do this you didn't do that no yeah. no no and then like weeks later they're like you know what when i was uh, like 11 yeah, years yeah, old yeah. I, I was hit by a truck or something like that <laughs> it's, it's like crazy. Oh. i got dragged on my, on, on my bike <laughs> yeah. or yeah yeah yeah, it, yeah that stuff it's sticks wild. around if you don't deal with it to, it does and and those you know those early early injuries that you or, or surgeries or things like that that you take for granted at the time they they be, they create fixation points like you what you were talking about with the controlled articular release stuff you know when you're when you're suffering a certain injury be it at the articular level or at like more of a superficial level or you know crossing through if you're if you're dealing with a surgery crossing through all sorts of layers of, of tissue then you're creating a scar point a scar tissue which becomes an adhesion point that your body then has to operate around instead of uh operating with i don't know if that i hope that makes sense but it becomes like a sticking point where now your body needs to, it needs to still move, but it, it, it isn't able to move in such an open and fluid way because this, this sort of scar tissue or this injury uh, is sort of holding, holding quite literally uh, the, the extensibility of the tissue around it. It's like um, splits the lever kind of thing. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. So yeah, it's a joint that you didn't want. Mm. So beyond uh, uh, yeah. sitting down and looking cross-eyed, oh, yeah. Yeah. What, else, what else are you doing? <laughs> uh, not looking like a psycho. Uh, I, I've been playing around a lot with uh, foot position because, you know, uh, your your brain really has, uh, or your body rather, really has like some, the, the only things, the only interface that your body really has with the environment around you is the, the visual information, but then the two feet that you're standing on. Um, and the amount of sensory information that you're getting from your feet is, it would be mind blowing. Um, and so, you know, the, a lot of it, you don't, uh, you don't recognize that cognizantly. It's all sort of like subconscious, uh, feedback mechanisms through joint proprioception, skin, uh, uh, pressure senses and, and things like that. And the free nerve endings and all sorts of other nerve endings in, in the, in the, in the skin. So, um, ensuring that your body's able to, or your feet are able to, uh, access both ends of the spectrum, be it pronation, supination, uh, to open as well as close uh, in, in dorsiflexion and plantar flexion. These are all, you know, important pieces to ensure that your brain is getting the right stimulus um, and being able to access all the positions that it, that it is available to it um, mm-hmm. anatomically. It's um, interesting. Like, it's like um, all of life is really just opposing gravity. 
and like, yeah. try, <laughs> like trying your best to, over a course of time to just keep opposing gravity. And yeah. the thing that is against the ground, putting the forces for the most part um, is the feet. The feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's so many joints in, in your feet and um, just like the, there are so many joints in your spine or, or in your, your thorax, but as, as uh, you know, certain things start to get locked down, then some of those joints lose their access of, uh, of motion. Um, or sometimes they just, they, they have too much motion. Um, and so these are all, you know, major, uh, it, it's one of those areas that I think are a big bang for your buck in terms of, um, in terms of like collective mechanics and top down, bottom up kind of mechanics to centrate your hip joint, to centrate, uh, your, your pelvic action from left to right, um, which then has massive effects going up, going up chain into, uh, into the spine and stuff. So, um, yeah, um, it's, it's so with, with that, you talked about a lot of sensory receptors in the feet. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you go about changing sensory information coming back from the foot? Yeah. Um, that's a tough one. Like, there, so, so there's a few ways to do it. So you can, and, and it depends on what you're trying to get, trying to access. Cause if you're just trying to access, um, like the, 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 the receptors on, on the skin and the, the dorsum of the foot, you can, you can utilize, um, like, uh, hot, cold, is not typically one that's used, but I, I assume that there could be some benefit there. Mm-hmm. Um, but having like a, uh, an uneven surface, um, I have this thing here. I'm trying to remember. Maybe you can, an ball. So I use something, something like this that has so a lot of like little, uh, little knobs on it mm-hmm. that you can roll under your foot to get that sort of stimulation, uh, the, the sensory cutaneous stimulation. Um, mm-hmm. and then beyond that, then, um, doing active movement. Um, so slowly loading the joint, being aware of where you're holding tension in your leg. Um, oftentimes when you naturally want to lean forward, the muscles behind you, like your calves will, will contract and try to pull, pull you back over top of your feet. Um, so being aware about where your, uh, where the tension is in, in your muscles and trying to get in a position where that tension can be at ease whether that's like holding something so that your, your brain knows that your body is stable and not about to fall over and then putting pressure into, into your foot to allow the arch to sort of collapse, mm. uh, in a, in a, you know, three-dimensional kind of way, as opposed to just focusing on dorsiflexion or, or plantar flexion, you know, there's, there's a whole aspect of rolling the foot inwards that, that is often missed, which is pronation. Mm. Um, and people, hate on pronation quite a bit, but there's, you know, an important piece there because we know that the, the joint, uh, or sorry, the, the muscles need to be lengthened, uh, and by lengthening, then they're able to contract, um, mm. and they lengthen by joint joints opening, uh, or, or getting, you know, going through a fuller range of motion. So if you can engage that, then all of a sudden you're engaging those muscles and the nerves within them, uh, creating a better representation in your brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it, like back to the fluid, even the fluid component, like if a, yeah. you need to expand and contract all tissues to allow for movement of fluid in all tissues. Mm-hmm. Like if it can pronate, there, there should be a level of pronation happening so that, like you said, the arch can collapse. Um, uh, so that would be a, a level of uh, expansion. And then once it um, recompresses, then the, there's going to be a fluid exchange. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, the major, major fluid drivers are, are in the calf muscles. Um, if those puppies are under tension all the time and they don't get that chance to, to sort of like, uh, to, um, expand because they're constantly compressing, 
then that, you know, you're, you're going to have all sorts of issues in terms of fluid return that, you know, it's, it, we're talking subclinical issues or stuff that you may not register, but it, it's stagnation that is inevitable, that, that, that is just going to be there, that doesn't need to be there. If you, if you were able to access better, better uh, ranges of motion in, in, your, in your lower limbs. Um, and that has, you know, huge effects as well as to, you know, into the, the knee mechanics, into the hip mechanics, like I had said earlier, and, uh, and staving off injury or, or risks for injuries in those areas. So that, that damn lesser saphenous nerve, huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's like the yeah. classic picture you see in, in uh, like the muscle pump pictures, the, that, that vein running through the uh, gastric. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Bopteal and the, yeah. The saphenous veins are, are big ones because you're, so, Mm-hmm. Oh, you go ahead. So I have so many questions for you. Yeah, <laughs> this is yeah, turning yeah. into like me, me just uh, put, putting stuff in, uh, in hot water here. No, <laughs> but the, the, the foot, like you said, it is highly um, sensory. Mm-hmm. Like there, there are um, muscles that feed into it, but it's very tendinous and um, like ligamentous. Like it's, it's very, like, a, like it's not very muscular to a degree, the foot mm-hmm. itself. Do yeah. you see benefit from working on the motor end, like doing some sort of um, like foot movement exercises. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like uh, in terms of like foot, it's foot specific, like, like talking about toes and, and all that sort of stuff. Like you can mm-hmm. get toe spacers and, and then just do your day-to-day activities, like walking around um, doing that kind of a thing, working on like just general strength. I think I've, I've, I've noticed in myself that I just have an, ex, an insane amount of weakness in my lower leg muscles. So all the muscles in your, your calf and along the front and the side of your, of your lower leg, those all by tendons go down into your foot to control the arches in your foot and, and control like larger movements within your foot and, and, and ankle. Um, and so if you have a discrepancy there from, let's say a previous injury, like rolling your ankle, which many of us have done, um, you know, you're going to change then uh, the, the capability of that um, of that muscle to contract, or perhaps you may change its endurance, uh, the ability that it has to endure activity, um, which is a big thing when you're talking about something like your feet, because they're working all the time, whether you're, you know, standing, walking, uh, you know, they're, they're, they constantly are, are asked to do a lot. Mm. Um, and, uh, there was an interesting article actually that, um, Dr. Eric Cobb just posted on his, uh, his social media. And he was talking about how it doesn't take, I think it's like 48 hours within 48 hours, you're getting cortical changes to uh, a certain area if it becomes immobilized. Um, And the first thing that, you know, you do that the body does with a, with a rolled ankle is it, 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 there's all sorts of disruption in terms of fluid and the fluid, as we explored earlier, the swelling, it just finds that area of low pressure, which happens to be you know, where, where the injuries occurred. And and so all that fluid builds up to brace the foot. Um, and then oftentimes, you know, we'll, we'll tape it or we'll brace it even further with like, you know, putting the foot in the boot kind of a thing Mm -hmm. and, and isolate and, and, um, and, and limit that, that joint or those joints for moving and the tissues for moving to prevent further injury or, or aggravation to it. But then what that ends up, what ends up occurring is, you know, within 48 hours, this study was showing that all of a sudden your brain's ability to recognize that area is changing. And so then, you know, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whenever it is that you get out of that cast or immobilized uh, or, or have changed the fluid enough to, to decrease the swelling and allow for movement, 
you know, then what you ask of that joint is going to be, you're going to get a different result than if you had asked the joint the same thing earlier. Mm. So yeah, that's all part of the rehab process, I guess, but um, it's an important piece like that, that fluid component and that, uh, that, that sensory and muscular component. Mm. Um, yeah, it's going to be crucial. So, you know, making sure that you have the strength and the endurance in that muscle after, after an injury is, is going to be very crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. Uh, like you talked about uh, with an acute injury that we, um, immobilize it further when the body's kind of already done that for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw an, an interesting study I'll put it in the show notes. I forget what it was called. Um, but when me and Stefan were talking about earlier, the, uh, when a compensation pattern has been prolonged, it moves from this like acute to chronic, um, uh, change where the, the tissues have now changed. And a lot of mm-hmm. that comes from not allowing for the, uh, inflammatory process to finish. Right. And yeah. like you were saying, um, fluid follows the path of least resistance. This study was showing that a lot of the times when inflammation, it becomes chronic, it's because there's a lack of clearance. Mm-hmm. So trying to allow for uh, mobility and the, the drainage tissues, like not, it doesn't even have to be like, we're talking about the ankle, for example, we don't have to tackle the ankle specifically. Like the ankle has the drain through the knee and then the hip um, yeah. and then back into the abdomen and then the abdomen so, and the chest. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's merit to uh, maintaining mobility and, uh, and movement through the joints that then uh, um, that that fluid has to then travel through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's that, that, that whole perspective, you know, reductionist view versus like a systematic re- a systems review uh, or perspective rather of, you know, not just looking at the ankle, which is the injured piece, but looking at, okay, what does the ankle need to in, in, in sort of its healing to mm-hmm. have the best chance uh, or, or the fastest recovery or whatever the, your goals may be. Um, yeah. And so getting that treat, like understanding that this, all that fluid needs to clear, you got to get it out of the way before it can start really to rebuild and get the, uh, the structures needed. The nutrients needed to improve it is uh yeah it's, it's crucial mm-hmm. i then this is an opportunity to talk about practical practical takeaways for an acute injury obviously yeah. always go get it checked out by, by a doctor um mm-hmm. but you have this immobilized joint what what can i do to then um uh influence it positively while we can talk about like we said the same nerves that innervate the knee go down and innervate the foot um those nerves then come from uh, the uh, like lumbosacral area. So how's the mobility there? Are, are those nerves receiving good supply and drainage at, at the low back? Like, are, like I remember like um, the recommendation was you rest, you elevate and you mm-hmm. uh, compress. And you yeah. You ice and compress. Yeah. If I'm laying down, I've elevated my foot. I'm creating tension along that, that lumbar area. Um, I'm potentially changing the, the uh, nutrition of the, where the, those, those uh, nerves are coming out. And then because of my uh, leg is elevated, I'm closing off the front of the hip and the drainage and supply to the leg literally have to go under your inguinal ligament back into the abdomen. And we're closing that off. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So tackling it from um, not just from the area, but looking at the anatomy and trace it backwards. Let's make sure the nerve through its whole pathway is healthy. Let's make sure um, the tissues that are proximal can, can drain properly. Um, yeah. And then yeah. whatever you can do at the joint to reestablish motion um, without damaging it further, like I would leave that to your practitioner. Yeah. Um, but yeah. there's always stuff you can do at home. My friend actually um, was talking about his dad. He's from Ukraine. 
and uh, his dad was a, a runner, like mid-distance runner, um, and got himself injured and then was at uh, a rehab facility. I forget if it was in Russia or there was a, a Russians at the facility. Mm -hmm. um, and you know how the Russians are with their athletes. Very, very hardcore, like, hardcore and on par. Yeah. So this guy had fractured his femur. Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy. Right? So, so they, they, it's uh, a, a big ask. Yeah. So, uh, so they, whatever did, did what they could to the femur mm -hmm. and then attached this guy's legs to almost like a bike type, like a string that, like, that made his legs go through a bike action. Yeah. 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 Even while he was sleeping, his Holy. legs were going through this action so wow. that it was just continually uh, creating motion and moving fluid. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and the guy uh, recovered and was That's able wild. to, yeah, it was able to run. Yeah. It's absolutely wild. It is. And, and, and that whole, like, I think when, what ends up happening when you get stuck into a sort of dogmatic position, the way that like sports rehab and, and like that, that sort of um, like strength conditioning performance perspective that, that I think is just taken all like all fields by storm that sort of rest ice elevate compress and all that sort of stuff you you lose then the opportunity to explore other other opportunity uh, other options um because that just becomes what is done and mm -hmm. and it's not necessary ne necessarily the right choice it's just the way that things have been done for so long mm -hmm. And, and this guy was working with and, and through, you know, other people who have been asking the right questions that some of that stuff that we thought we, you know, had signed, sealed and delivered wasn't quite exactly delivering what we were hoping. Uh, and, and through that research, you know, uh, it's specifically into icing is what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Is, is that it's not necessarily going to be helping. And in, in fact, it can be hindering uh, mm -hmm. your, your body's natural recovery process. Well, um, even yeah. the guy who came out with it um, started a website to, yeah. just to yeah. say, hey, I made a mistake. Like, <laughs> let's not do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's not do this for every, for every single thing. Yeah. Um, and like and, you were talking about, um, like when you get into that, uh, that habit of just this is what it's done, you start to lose the why. Yeah. And you start to lose the opportunity to what, what could be potentially better. Yeah. Yeah. You, you lose the, the, that, that creative impetus that, that we all naturally have when you just start to, you know, follow along and, you know, and, and it's, it's a tough road. If you don't want to be the follower, if you want to start blazing a new trail, you know, you got to be prepared for, for a potential cliff here and there, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's a, you know, an interesting, interesting life to lead. If you're, if you're wanting to be that brave person to start asking those questions and start delving into new areas of, of research. And yeah, we, we need people like that. Mm -hmm. Change the game. So we got Stefan, that was a long rabbit hole, but with Stefan's doing eye <laughs> movements and he's doing foot oh, stuff. Frig. Foot stuff. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. Like a lot of the stuff, like the, the stuff that you, you had brought up about, about, um, you know, more frequent movement and, and, mm -hmm. and having like a, a skill developed is, is stuff that I didn't think about, a, like how I didn't intentionally do, but I find that I do anyways is, mm -hmm. you know, there are certain times where, I'll, I'll gain a, a certain, a new range of motion through, you know, changing my foot posture, which has, you know, a, uh, you know, kinetic effect up, up the, the chain. And then I'll, you know, see like, okay, how does this feel with a squat? Okay. How does this feel with, you know, uh, a, you know, a hinge or, or other, you know, basic movement patterns, or, or I'll try to integrate things and, and, you know, utilize that range now that I've got it and go for a walk. Um, and so, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, 
practice every once in a while trying to hold a deeper squat and you can feel certain areas that are restricted that your brain is like, well, this isn't, you know, isn't my normal spot, but by applying that, that position and holding it for a little bit longer, you're giving your body the opportunity to fall into that, that new, that new changed position, just like you're, you know, giving yourself in the space that, you know, to slouch by sitting at a desk for eight hours, Mm -hmm. your, your body accommodates. So trying to find those positive uh, postures um, and, and give your, your body time to accommodate in those is, is, is something that I practice once in a while. Um, I'm feeling, feeling ambitious. One more question I had with the, the foot actually um, is with wedging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember uh, when you were treating me um, not too long ago, you, you, you were using, utilizing wedging a little bit. Are, is that still something um, use and, and how what's the intent there is that from the sensory side yeah it's it's mm. all sensory it's it's interesting because it's it's a bit of both like it, you can't you can't separate it really but yeah a lot of that stuff yeah i'm still experimenting with and, and still trying to digest the information um it was all um a, a lot of the work from gary ward um that that sort of opened up that door um because the the wedges by wedging your foot you don't so let's say you have a foot that's overly supinated so your 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 foot um the the structural prongs that you stand on is much like a tripod so you have the the first and the fifth toe uh and at the base of those toes um are the metatarsals so you have the two metatarsals towards the uh the end of your foot and then your heel at the back and those three create sort of the tripod and um, based on this sort of this this conception, you can find tripods all over the place. Every single spine has, is is the same. You have a tripod and spine, and the pelvis is you know it can can you know you can compare it in some ways. Um, but if you're leaning too far to one side, all of a sudden you find that your your inside, if you're supinated, let's say, all of a sudden that big toe or the the metatarsal of that big toe is slow. It's not taking as much pressure. And so then your, your muscles have to accommodate to brace in a certain way, being that you're unevenly weighting that tripod. And so by introducing a wedge, you are uh, introducing new sensory information um, into that, that tripod um, and restabilizing it, which then allows then the muscle to re- sort of rejig that, that information. Um, and make use of that. And then, you know, slowly as you bring that tripod away, you're almost coaxing, coaxing the, the foot into a better position. Likewise, you know, or sorry, conversely, if you, let's say you have a, a heel that's, you know, turned in or turned out one way or the other based on, a, again, a supinated or pronated position. If you're supinated, that heel is going to be sort of almost pulling off to the, to the outside and you can wedge it to then actively collapse it into a pronated position. Um, which is a little bit more of like the, a little bit more of a heavy handed approach to like pushing it in the right direction, as opposed to coaxing it as you might with the sensory information underneath the first metatarsal. So these are, these are different approaches that, that, uh, that you can, that are utilized by, by wedging and by changing then how the, 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 the body and the weight is loaded through that foot, which then reflexes through all the joints and which then change muscle uh the muscle receptors the receptors within the muscle the golgi tendons and the, the spindles and things like that and uh it, you get new representation here in the uh, somatosensory cortex so I, i've seen it becoming a, a little bit more popular um yeah. at least on instagram and stuff i feel like it's something that's it's one of those things for sure that's been around for a long time and yeah you know what I mean? yeah orthotics um, is is the it's the same thing it's you mm-hmm. know so yeah it, it becomes like 
it, it's not it's not new per se, but the way in which it's applied, I think it's it's new to me, and so I, I find it very interesting. Because mm-hmm. I, I used to use orthotics quite a bit as a kid, um, but knowing now the plasticity and the, the 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 speed at which the body and the brain can change, it makes me wonder. Like, there's no doubt that orthotics are are beneficial, but perhaps the way in which they're applied, uh, you know, there may be some room for improvement. I would say, you mm-hmm. know, saying like, here's your orthotic, come back and see me in a year you know, your foot doesn't need a year necessarily to, to accommodate a new position. I know for a fact that I can do it within 15 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and everybody's different. Um, that's, you know, what I can do for myself. Cause I know what I'm working with. Um, but when you just give somebody an orthotic, perhaps they only needed that orthotic for two months. And then, you know, if you were to reassess, maybe you might find that they need, they may need something else like, or a different type of orthotic or a different type of support. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And these are all just thoughts that I, that I've had based off of what I've experienced. Um, so I think it's, it's worth, uh, worth exploring. Well, that makes sense to me. It's almost like, especially the younger, the individual, the more plastic they're going to be, yeah. uh, the more plasticity they're going to have. Yeah. Um, and probably, probably where the immobility is coming from. Like if it's a deeper chronic, um, immobilized area, it might take a little bit more time versus if it's just something, um, reflexive or just a sensory issue it might just be as easy as you know doing some lunges with a with a foot lunge or a foot wedge with a, yeah, yeah yeah just just giving a new opportunity for the body to move and mm. and then it celebrating that opportunity and making mm. the, the right changes or, or changes in general are good for for most people when they're suffering mm-hmm. <laughs> and then better, it, than, better than yeah. nothing and then integrating it up the chain like like you were saying uh, in the last podcast it's not as easy as just immobilizing an area or mobilizing an area you have to yeah. see how that's going to affect the um entire chain or gate cycle or whatever and, and make sure that everything else is moving accordingly yeah yeah big time so, uh, my last question with that is like it looks relatively simple like from from a, a person who like doesn't understand really what's going on it's like oh you know they're, they're leaning a little bit to that side so they toss a wedge underneath that side and whatever get them to do some exercises but it there's more thought that goes in into it than that correct yeah, it's a bit of an art. Like it, it mm. becomes like, and, and that's why it's, you know, it's not something I've mastered by any means. It's something that, that you continually try to integrate um, and, and get better at with practice. Like it's it, because your body is so highly tuned through the, the nervous system, it knows everything at that simultaneously. It's freaking nuts. Mm. So, you know, if you wedge too far, you know, all of a sudden now you're encouraging something that you may be trying to counter. If you wedge not enough, then it's not enough of a stimulus to generate the change. So then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're working in this, this, these little sweet spots and you're, you know, if you're, if your angle is off, then your body may not be able to respond, you know, the way that you'd hope or to the, the completeness in which that you'd hope to achieve. So these are all factors that I think, you know, really, really delve into the, the art of, of that as a, as a modality or as a practice and in, in your, in what you're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the same is true regardless, like, you know, exercise prescriptions is a, is a freaking art as well, mm-hmm. you know, to get somebody, um, to get somebody to lift in a certain way and cue them accordingly in, into a pattern that you're, that you're, you're wanting them to achieve is a freaking art into itself. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to me. And it's something I really struggle with is, is it a motor issue or is it a sensory issue? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know there's not one without the other. Yeah, but that's a depends depends a kind depends of situation. Yeah. Kind of answer. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then which way to tackle? Like, is there situations where it, you have to 
um, to create adaptation, you have to work on the motor side. Um, it's not just, uh, well, I shouldn't say as easy, but it's not just as quick as changing yeah. sen um, one sensory. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and there's definitely a, um, a, a, a big piece there with like, cause when you were talking about, you know, certain adhesions and, and when we're talking about physiological changes in the tissue, that's not just going to be a sensory change. That's going to be, you know, a longer ingrained process of, of like a longer term adaptation process that needs to be constantly encouraged in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, you know, as, as nice as it would be just to, to stimulate um, all, all the sensory receptors and get everything working in the right way. It's, it's a, it's not that easy. That's mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. And, and the capacities of the muscle, you know, if you have a diminished capacity in a muscle, um, your, your, your body's going to compensate around it until that capacity is improved. Um, so if, if it's a central, if it's a central muscle, then, then you're going to, you know, or a very prominent one, you're going to have to do some work to, to make sure that it's integrated properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think a cool place we could go with this is where do these injuries occur and why do they occur? Um, to me, an injury, um, and even just on a small scale, when we're talking, we're not talking about, we don't have to talk about like broken ankles or rolled ankles or, you know, mm -hmm. torn ACLs or whatever, just um, tissue that's yielded. Um, like where, what's it, what situations do those arise? And, um, and I'm curious to hear uh, your thoughts, but in my head, it's when you get yourself into a position that you've never been in before, that your body doesn't have a, a map for um, a protective, um, like uh, reflexive uh, protective attributes for, and then getting into a position uh, with too much force or speed that again, mm -hmm. that, 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 that the central nervous system doesn't have a map for. Yeah. It's not, it's not secured. For. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's like, that. there's, those are again, like just more, um, more, more complexities into the, the body as a whole, because those are all factors that are incredibly relevant outside of just, like you said, just an injury, as soon as you change the speed, you know, mm -hmm. you're asking a lot more of the, of that same tissue or that same, you know, kinetic chain or, or same joints. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I don't know. That's that. I think you nailed it, nailed it with that, that thought. Cause it's, that's a, it's a huge one. Um, so with that thought yeah. from a, um, a training perspective for yourself or, or if you're, you know, a personal trainer training an athlete or even just a, a person that's how, how do we um, uh, make that situation come up the least amount? Like how do we make that uh, um, something that doesn't happen very often? And it'll depend on the sport, but training in the same forces with the same speeds as potentially will happen in the sport, I think is important. Um, and then for an individual, just general population is to get them in some funky positions, um, yeah. and, um, safely give, for sure. Give them the space. Yeah. To, to, and give their brain the space to come up with a plan or a strategy or find security in those weird places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that, that, uh, um, consistency of, of, uh, of, of a prescription of mobility, like not, not just giving them, Hey, three times a week, you're going to do 10 minutes on Monday, 10 minutes on is give them like, Hey, you know, 10 times a day, you're going to do two, three minutes. And I'm going to give mm -hmm. you, you know, all these uh, different movements or, or whatever. So we can start to train different positions so that, you know, the more positions you've been in, the, the, the bigger that map is that uh, um, this, the nervous system has to um, better protect to work with yeah. tissue. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Mm -hmm. 
and, and creating that variety and, and finding consistency in it. So, and, and spending time in those, those areas, in those positions, like those are all huge pieces to, to creating then a, a different outcome mm. as to how the body approaches it, which is going to be preventative for all sorts of things regarding like injuries, mm-hmm. um, as, as well as just optimizing, optimizing your control of yourself and, and your, your own awareness is it's to where you're operating in space. Mm-hmm. It's like, I always come back yeah. to consistency and variety. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. And yeah. You, can, you can apply that to pretty much anything. anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's all. And, and, and it's, I think especially is, is about variety. Like the, the variety for me is, is massive. Is I, I always love thinking about like you as a baby, you know? you as a baby, it was, you're just a useless little sack of meat that's just <laughs> rolling around. And it's, and it's through sensory stimulation that your brain develops. And, and it is through the sensory stimulation that your motor, uh, your motor network sort of correlates new things. You, you have these, you know, so, so the variety in which your body is able to move is, is both your growth as, a, as an infant as much as it is, you know, sustaining that growth as an adult. And making sure that that growth is not diminished as, as you age, I think is uh, is a massive piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny too. Like people talk about the, pla- um, the plasticity of children, for example, they learn things so quick, mm-hmm. and that may diminish with age, but it still exists. Yeah, yeah. And you can still teach yourself new movements. Big time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's and there's all sorts of science now coming out supporting that, and it haven't and it likely has been for a while with mm-hmm. uh, with with the plasticity aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, for all sorts of things, be it, yeah, like cognitive stuff or, or movement-based stuff. But I think they all feed into each other because it's all coming from the same place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wicked. Yeah. Um, Wicked. So, yeah, I think like my big takeaways um, mm-hmm. from this would be with yourself or with your, with your clients is consistency over complexity. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean that complexity doesn't have its role. But, you know, consistency of the fundamentals is going to get you to 90% of your goal. And then, you know, that last 10%, you have some fun with some complexity. Um, so when you're programming for yourself or you're programming for your clients, it's not just an hour, right? There's 24 hours in a day, you know, mm-hmm. one hour um, of mobility or training and then 23 hours of sitting down in one position. Your body's not going to... Um, prioritize that one hour of movement it's going to prioritize what it's the position it's in them for most of the day yeah the reinforced uh, yeah mm-hmm. and then with whatever mobility that you're prescribing um i know there's so many different schools of thought so many different ways you can rationalize you know stretching versus rolling out versus something like cars that i do um mm-hmm. just have an intention have a rationale yeah. right don't, don't just do uh oh we're doing stretching because you know I've heard about stretching and apparently it's good. Like have a rationale, be able to explain it, be able to educate yourself and your clients on it, whether it is stretching or rolling out or whatever, have mm-hmm. some sort of reason behind it um, and understand its limitations. Yeah. Understand your limitations. Like when I'm prescribing mobility for my clients, I know there's limitations when they're with me even or on their own. I'm not going to be able to get um, to work everything out. I'm going to have to refer out to a practitioner who um, is going to be able to assess a little bit better and figure out the problem and then communicate with that person so that uh, you can work together to better, um, better the patient's outcome. Mm -hmm. And then uh, with that, 
consistency, add some, some fun stuff, make it fun, keep it, keep it fun. Um, and allow for that neuroplasticity to set in place where you're getting them into these positions that are safe, like make sure they're safe for them. Um, but that can in, improve their ability to anticipate uh, their central nervous system's ability to anticipate mo uh, movements so that their uh, risk of injury decreases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And don't be afraid of breathing as a tool. It's, yeah, it's not like, it's not a passive activity. Uh, activity. There's so much benefit going on uh, from a recovery standpoint, from a movement standpoint, a uh, movement of fluids, I should say. Um, yeah. 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 It's massive. It's a massive piece. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I think that those are all really important takeaways because yeah, bring, bring it all back and, and making it an integrated and intentful sort of action is, is going to go a long way um, in, in terms of what your, your perception of what you're trying to accomplish. Um, I think that the more intent and the more understanding that you have of something, then once it's applied, the better results, just as, you know, I think that's just how that works. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you can really, you know, rationalize and, and understand it and then, you know, see it in its application, you're going to have a lot less of um, like by chance outcomes. You're going to have some intentful outcomes instead. Mm -hmm. And I think too, with the rationale that you have, be open to that rationale changing, like be open to having your mind changed. Yeah. Don't yeah. get so caught up in, in the what, dogma. What, what has been working for you um, lately. Don't be afraid to, you know, dig a little bit more into anatomy, dig a little bit more into physiology, keep your mind curious, um, be open to ideas. Cause that's what keeps it fun. Yeah, like totally. we've all been in, in that situation where we're doing the same thing with the same person or our different people rather. Um, it's boring. Like you, you don't, you're not excited to go into work because you know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, learn some new things, try out some new things, you know, give yourself an opportunity to um, investigate and, and, uh, and grow like, and grow and yeah. uh, come to better truth. Yeah. Good times. Times. <laughs> people in patients and clients and all that stuff they love it they love they love being the guinea pigs as oh, long as yeah. it's, as long as it's a responsible guinea pig <laughs> not getting them hanging from the ceiling yeah traction in the yeah, yeah 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 um nice is there anything yeah. you add to that no no that was a banger of a summary right there hmm. yeah because it's it, yeah i mean nothing that i can say that's going to be not what you had said already really Hmm. A lot of, yeah, keeping that variety, keeping finding consistency and exploring exploring is going to be, I think, a, a huge piece for, it, it has been for me, it's, you know, the number one thing that, that I've attached to is just exploring and, and staying curious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dude, I got one more thing to add. Yeah. 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 Do you, do you think the, uh, the arch of the foot is a diaphragm? I, yeah, yes. I still I, like, I love it. I think that it's, it, it acts as a diaphragm. It's oriented as a diaphragm. It's uh, I'm just trying to like, there's the, the pumping mechanism mm -hmm. of, that a diaphragm exhibits is something that I, I, I haven't figured out or thought, thought enough on yet, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, but that's always something that I, that I wondered, wondered about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause to me, know. like, it's not an arch, like, well, I guess it depends on the definition of an arch. Like an arch to me is like, um, not a uh it's like a um not a wide structure like to me it's more of a dome like you said yeah. the, the, this tripod it's tripod connections mm -hmm. it's like a, a tent yeah yeah yeah. Uh, it's like a uh, like a like a sun sail mm -hmm. almost like where, where it's it's it, it is kind of domed but it's triangular and it's mm -hmm. for me a, for me a diaphragm whenever i think diaphragm i think 
obviously thoracic diaphragm. Mm -hmm. And so then I naturally start to think then that up and down movement, which works. But then Mm -hmm. I also think about the fluid pumping mechanisms and stuff, which Mm -hmm. to me, I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's enough of a, of a, like a fluid pumping effect. I I haven't looked into it, like in in terms of any research, but Mm -hmm. the, the, the arteries and the veins get pretty, pretty narrow at that, at that point. So I don't know how much of an effect they have on on the fluid side. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't have to be muscular because the the diaphragm in your, in your brain, there's a couple of those are fascial structures. Yeah. Uh, But there's a lot more fluid up there. Yeah, it's true. Mm. That is, yeah, that is true. There's a lot of fluid up there and the movement of your, of your spine and your brain end up sort of facilitating a lot of that. They, they sort of act as like a generating a wave, like a paddle in water kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, the foot's, foot's an interesting one. I never, <laughs> I, like, I, I, I remember coming up to coming up to that thought before and not really sure what to make of it. Yeah. Uh, what do you, you have to though? see if it, if it influences the, like, it'd be such a small scale though. If it of influences. The, like fluid. Yeah. Or, um, just th- like thoracic pressure or abdominal pressure. Like mm. they, they, like the diaphragms work together to change yeah. pressure. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it has that active component, but shape yeah. wise, shape wise, it looks <laughs> like one walks like one. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, it's an interesting right. one though. Nice. Damn, that was good. Yeah. 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 That was awesome. Mm. Um, sweet covered a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else you want to add? No, I don't know, man. <laughs> mm. I'm super pumped for our next series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Getting getting into uh, into some some more breathing stuff, some more breathing mechanics. Yeah, physiological outcomes. Yeah, some structure stuff. Structure, physiology, and then practical takeaways from a breathing perspective. And there's a lot we're gonna be able to dive into. I'm excited. Yeah, about. I was saving. I was saving my questions of you about your breathing practices because I know you got tons. And mm-hmm. I can't wait. I can't wait to touch on those. Oh, That's we'll going to be sweet. Them, nice. All right, oh, brother. Well, thanks, uh, thanks everybody for listening and uh, have a good yeah. one. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or have a topic you'd like me and Stefan to tackle, you can find us on Instagram at why it depends podcast. Email us at why it depends at gmail.com. You can also check out our website at www.thewhyitdependspodcast.com for detailed show notes with all the references and resources discussed in each and every episode. Do not hesitate to send us a message. We'd love to get to know you. Cheers and stay healthy.